feminist scholars and visionaries such as Rianne Eisler, Jean Schnoda Bolin, Phyllis Chesler, uh, Father Roy Bourgeois, who was excommunicated from the Vatican, to just name a few of the radio show guests. They're all included in the anthology. And their essays take our interview to the next level. So it complements what you can hear from them here in the archive. So please check it out. And if you want an advanced copy, uh, go to my website, and you'll have a copy in your hands now rather than waiting until late November or early December when Amazon will start mailing out the books. And this week, uh, I have two shows uh, uh, to make up for being away earlier in the month. Yes, you didn't miss anything. Tonight, uh, in just a moment here, I'll be chatting with Professor Ted Peters from Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary in Berkeley, California. And while we don't often cover this kind of topic um, on a regular basis, uh, I thought this would be interesting tonight because Ted's written a book entitled UFOs, God's Chariots. And I'd like to hear his take as a theologian and religion scholar on the subject, uh, with shows like Ancient Aliens becoming such a kind of secular religion uh, to so many these days. Um, then Wednesday, I'll be back uh, with Kali Cargill. Uh, she's going to be discussing with me Daughters of Time and Don't Take It Lying Down, Life According to Goddess, followed by Hilary Ramo on Love, Breathe for Earth. And uh, you'll want to stay with me uh, after my conversation with Ted for my What's the Buzz segment uh, so you can hear what's setting my hair on fire and what's got those dorm bees buzzing around in my bonnet tonight. And I'll give you a hint. It's the letters I-S-I-S. Okay, so uh, let me uh, introduce you to Ted um, by uh, telling you a little bit more about him. Uh, actually, I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about him. I already said he's uh, a professor at Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary, and uh, his most current book is uh, UFOs, God's Chariots. Ted, welcome to the show, and what would you like my readers to know uh, most about you? Well, Kellen, uh, thank you for that uh, welcome. It's a privilege uh, to be with you, and you've already given me a kind of uh, kind of introduction that I like by noting how history too, the television channel with the ancient alien uh, segments uh, documentaries uh, appear to be a secular form of religion, or in some cases, unabashedly a secular dumping of uh, of traditional religion, but all in the name of uh, an alleged scientific rediscovery of uh, things that um, uh, we would like to think happen, such as explaining our religious traditions in light of visits from outer space by humanoid, uh, very much in the cause, even a kind of scientific explanation for spiritual band people have inherited. So that's a, a large part of my book, UFOs, God's Chariots, but I also ask the question, could God actually use flying concerts and use our imaginations about extraterrestrials to deliver a wholesome message? And uh, I like to play with that idea the book is about. Okay. And, you know, Ted, I'm having a little bit trouble um, hearing you. You're kind of going in and out a little bit. Um, are you on a speakerphone or anything? I am, and if it would help, I will uh, get off that. 
It would. It would. Why don't you just talk directly? Oh, it is much better better? because I I most definitely uh, most I I most definitely want listeners to um, understand what you're saying, and and that will that will help a lot. Well, you know, as we um, were saying before we went live, you know, some listeners may say, well, Karen, what in the world are you having a show like this about? You know, this is supposed to be about the sacred feminine, you know, political, spiritual, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think for me, uh, I didn't discover a feminine face of God until uh, I was 30 years old. And when I realized what had been swept beneath the rug I think it really opens our eyes to all sorts of possibilities. Uh, You know, you start to realize that you're not being told everything, that in some cases we probably don't even know the questions, much less have all the answers. So I sort of keep an open mind about things. Um, Also, I was, you know, we were talking about, I think it was the movie Cloud Atlas, uh, the one with Tom Hanks, where the characters play different people throughout time. And uh, it was really interesting in that movie because at one point in history, uh, there was an Asian woman who was drafted into this, I'm going to just call it a social justice movement. It was kind of they were rebelling against the status quo and the oppression of uh, of so many people sounds familiar, doesn't it? And uh, you know, and and she was killed in the process. Uh, you know, the government came and killed her and all the the you know the rebels. And then a few generations later, you know, as history got muddied and the story got told and retold and told and retold, um, suddenly now they have statues of her as a goddess and people are praying to her. And I always think about that when I hear these ancient alien um, episodes on TV, uh, because I do know some, you know, some women and men uh, contemplate the idea that maybe uh, the beings, essences, you know, whatever we want to call deity, could have maybe been from another planet, could have maybe been humans who walked the earth, you know, who who made a great impression. And um, I don't know, I guess I just wonder, what do you think about all of that? And, uh, you know, how does it shape your reality? Not a big question. (laughs) Well, the... (laughs) The imagination on the part of the ancient astronaut theorists, I think, uh, is something that I do admire. And to go back into ancient literature and petroglyphs and myths and uh, just try to ask the question, could your and my ancestors have actually encountered visitors from outer space and then perhaps mistakenly describe them as gods or goddesses. Let me just say, I think that's a legitimate uh, question. Uh, One of the uh, problems with it, as I had mentioned, is that it tends to be denigrating uh, to religious sensibilities uh, as they try to substitute a more prosaic uh, explanation. Be that as it may, Uh, It's still a very uh, interesting question that maybe our inherited traditions really were prompted by something quite different than what we think, and that over time, layers of interpretation sort of 
change them? That's a reasonable question. I think as a good scientific research question, I don't know what other category to put it in. Right. Well, you know, it's kind of like out-of-place artifacts. You know, um, when I wrote Sacred Places of Goddess and I was researching a bunch of things, I would run across out-of-place artifacts uh, often uh, or, you know, things that would be radiocarbon dated that don't fit the timeline and suddenly the the founder of these artifacts, uh, you know, they sort of get uh, relegated to the outside of academia because their findings would sort of upset the apple cart, if you know what I mean. Um, mm-hmm. you, know, it, it, you know, it feels like to me oftentimes academia isn't in it to find out the real truth. I think it seems like at at a certain point, some of them are there more invested in protecting their position on things rather than say, well, look, we have new information that's sort of maybe we should revisit this. But, you know, I don't know. I don't think we see that often enough. Um, And there are so many questions. It seems like academia just... Ignores, And when you watch shows like Ancient Aliens and you see some of these ancient sites that we couldn't even build today, uh, it's easy to scratch your head and wonder, well, who did, you know? And, and you know, it, you could so easily see where a primitive people, uh, seeing a so much more advanced people, would take the, those folks as God, well, I uh, like what you're saying, and I do uh, concur that the academic world has a kind of uh, orthodoxy and even some rigidity to it. Uh, uh, quite frequently, I'll be introduced to somebody at a reception or something and say, well, Dr. Peters here, among other things, studies UFOs and the new person says, oh, I think I see somebody on the other side of the room I'd rather be talking <laughs> to. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit out of the box uh, because of uh, my interest, uh, but my interest dovetails with what goes on at NASA and SETI with regard to the search for extraterrestrial life. So I look at the UFO phenomenon in terms of our larger culture, and then I try to show the continuity, uh, whether scientists like it or not, the continuity with the belief system that many of our establishment um, scientists um, have. But like you, my imagination gets tickled when I watch the ancient astronauts uh, dig around in an ancient archaeological site and come up with these speculations. Uh, It's a lot of fun. Well, yeah, and, you know, and and I recall that, you know, uh, former President Jimmy Carter claims to have seen a UFO, and um, I'm trying to remember the other fella. He's out of Congress now, but, you know, they they demean people who – uh, who want to think about this stuff seriously. I mean, I, at least I think in, in, you know, the halls of academia they do. I don't think quite so much out in the mainstream world anymore as more and more people uh, are willing to, uh, you know, well, well, you know, we've said it's almost become a secularized religion in a sense. Well, on that particular score, the academic world is far more narrow-minded than the average person on the street who just loves to talk about uh, these things. Uh, The good news about Jimmy Carter is that he was with a large number of people when they saw uh, the flying saucers, so they can't dismiss him, you know, as uh, just having a kooky experience. 
But this idea of debunking people who claimed witness UFOs or talk about UFOs was a legitimate, uh, I shouldn't say legitimate, it was a uh, purposeful policy set by the United States Air Force in the spring of 1953. And uh, basically what they wanted to do was to spread ridicule uh, for people who have UFO experiences because they didn't want to get flooded with flying saucer reports so they couldn't deal with national security. Notice how national security sometimes uh, takes precedence over just about everything. So this history of ridiculing people who want to talk about UFOs, well, it's been around for pushing three-quarters of a century now. Right, right. And, and you know, while, while that seems like a legitimate excuse, um, you know, it, it also feels like, you know, when you have stuff like the, fe- the lights over Phoenix and, you know, an assortment of things that have, uh, that, you know, we've gotten reports from, you know, military people, pilots who have all seen things, you know, after a while you start to say, well, you know, they're just in denial or they don't want to <laughs> admit it rather than yeah. uh, have a sense that, or, or they make some stupid excuse that, you know, you would have to be a moron to believe, you know, like the the Roswell stuff with weather balloons. Who believes that, you know? Right, right. Um, but, um, you know, it will, but what I've also found interesting was uh, the Vatican, with all its observatories, you know, um, now maybe there's an explanation for it, but... And then, the, and then they also came out and said that uh, long, not that long ago, that if they discovered aliens, it wouldn't uh, adversely ref- affect religion. Or I, I forget exactly what they said. But do you find that a little bit odd? That um, why would the Vatican have so much invested in observatories, if maybe they weren't curious as well? <laughs> Well, the Vatican Observatory uh, started in the wake of uh, the Galileo affair because now they could use telescopes to study the stars, and their original motive was to set the calendar. They wanted to use the telescope uh, to get an accurate calendar, and they did that 400 years ago. Well, the Vatican Observatory, by the way, I, I do work on occasion with the astronomers at the Vatican Observatory, so... Uh, and I talk to them quite frequently. Uh, the Vatican Observatory has been doing research on galaxy formation now for a number of decades, and even though they don't search directly for extraterrestrial life, it is definitely a uh, supper table conversation. So they've never really shied away from that question, nor are they uh, particularly frightened about it. Pope Francis, a few weeks ago, gave a homily at one of the chapels in the Vatican, and he included as one of his illustrations, well, what if a flying saucer should land and the space uh, alien gets out? Should we baptize him? Question mark. Well, I wasn't there, but I think he was laughing. And uh, part of the Pope's agenda in this pontificate has been to try to get Roman Catholics around the world to open their minds and be a little bit broader in their scope. And I think uh, the illustration of the space alien was part of that particular agenda. I don't think he was 
making a serious um, uh, claim, you know, about extraterrestrial life, regardless of what he thinks, you know. No, no, no. I, I, no, I hear you, and uh, I, I like him. I, you know, he gives me hope that you know maybe you know they they will come out of the dark ages. But um, mm-hmm. the, the comment I was referring to actually, I think, happened during Ratzinger. Um, and, and it just seemed, and I wish I could remember exactly what they said, but when they it came out, I thought to myself, well, why would they even be making a comment like that? It made me think, gee, in a month or two, there's going to be some sort of revelation, you know, but then no revelation ever came. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, it, it almost seems like, you know, what you said they're studying is really not, you know, beyond the purview of uh, of spirituality in the church. I mean, it sort of borders on, uh, you know, science as opposed to religion. I mean, uh, I mean, am I missing something? Well, it, well, it does. I think contrary to popular belief, um, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, as well as certain Protestant bodies, and I'm a Lutheran, have long thought that science is just integral to uh, the life of of faith, and so it's not unusual at all for a church body to sponsor um, high-quality science uh, if you don't think that science and faith are somehow or other um, antithetical. But, you know, I'd like to get back to that uh, earlier uh, hint that you gave when you brought up the Vatican, and that is um, what might happen to religious beliefs in the event that we wake up and find ourselves with neighbors in space. And I actually conducted a survey uh, to answer that question called the Peter's ETI Religious Crisis Survey a couple of years ago. And uh, without going into detail, the vast majority of religious people, whether they're various kinds of Christians or Buddhists or Muslims, uh, what, what have you, um, are very quick to say that we would be narrow-minded if we thought that planet Earth is the only theater for God's drama, and most people either welcome neighbors in outer space or don't really know. Uh, There's a very small percentage uh, who fear that somehow or other their religious beliefs are going to be challenged or collapse or something uh, if they end up with space neighbors. So uh, the Vatican is only consistent with others. It's not unusual on that particular point. So what do you think would be the, the I'm going to say the party line, let's say the Christian party line, if we found out that there were aliens, that God just created them too? Would they just say, you know, would uh, be, that would be, be the, that would be the uh, that would be the Christian party line. It would, and uh, we have a little research uh, group here in Berkeley at the Center for Theology and Natural Sciences, and uh, we're trying to ask uh, questions such as, what about the scope of God's creation? How big is it? Well, it's pretty big. And uh, does uh, the rational nature of God? We think God is rational. Uh, maybe not, but we think God is rational. Uh, and that the universe is constructed according to rational principles. That's what makes science possible. Would space aliens be of the same mind that you and I are? I have to just speculate about that. Most of the assumptions are yes, but 
you know, I don't know. <laughs> well, we we you need know, to I ask, and until we meet them, we won't know. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. Um, well, first of all, when you when you when you said God is rational, forgive me, but the first thought that hit my mind was, you mean the God of the Bible is rational? <laughs> you know, he's a little bit more schizophrenic. But anyway, oh, aside yeah, from that. Oh, yeah, the God of the Bible does not look <laughs> rational. You're right about right. that. At least, at least the uh, the First Testament doesn't look like a God is very rational, that's for sure. But, but you know, I just can't imagine, you know, the alien that lands that gets out is, is going uh, to have the same religious beliefs as, let's just say, let's just take Christians. Um, you know, I, I, you know I, I, would, I would like fall on the floor dumbfounded if they did. I mean, I can't even uh, imagine, you know, their, their God might be some, you know, blue crystal goo, you know, um, from, <laughs> you know from their planet. Yeah, right, so right. the thought that there would be any similarities uh, between what people here on Earth uh, identify as God and what an alien would identify as God, the chances I would think are pretty slim that they would be similar, but <laughs> yeah, I think, I think probably the chances are about, uh, zero, uh, and no theologian that I know of that deals with this even tries to speculate about their religion. What is odd is that some of the scientists do. And uh, some of the scientists want to say, um, uh, that the religion of these aliens would be very much like their police in science and technology. But uh, most theologians, as far as I know, are much too timid uh, to uh, try and suggest uh, what the spirituality of aliens might be. Uh, yeah, w One of my premises here now is that the scientific community has its own secret religion, and it pretends that it's science, but in fact it's religion. And so it's the physicists who are most likely to say that intelligent aliens are also physicists. <laughs> I've never heard a Christian say that an intelligent alien is going to be a Christian. Nobody would ever say something like that. But the physicists are far less timid, you know. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but but they would be right there standing in line trying to baptize them, you know, uh, the, the, the moment they exited the spacecraft. You know, I could see there'd be a rush between the Muslims, the Christians, and the Jews to see who mm. was going to convert them. <laughs> I I, I, what I fear is that the physicists have already preemptively converted them by dubbing them as scientific. Um, you know, <laughs> the Muslims making... and Christians and Buddhists haven't met them yet, and I'm going to wait. <laughs> so, Ted, um, in the course of your book, um, you you probably interviewed uh, UFO witnesses or people who've been abducted. Um, what was your sense of these folks? I mean, uh, do you think they were rational? Um, you know, what, what well, would you say? some some definitely uh, were rational. Uh, some were not. Uh, my own approach is to be open-minded and, in some ways sort of uh, caring for the person who is reporting what for them was an extraordinary uh, experience. And on the one hand, I want to discern the facts because, you know, I've got kind of a scientific mind of my own. On the other hand, um, I am concerned about what it means uh, for people uh, and uh, what, uh, what people do when they have an extraordinary experience is they just fight uh, to find out what 
what does it mean for me? And uh, there's enough of the pastor in me that wants to uh, sort of cultivate that and help people uh, arrive at what it uh, it could mean. Because in some cases, they're life-changing. In most cases, no. If you just see an unidentified light at night, you're curious, and that ends that. But if somebody claims that they had a close encounter of the third kind or they were abducted, uh, it can have all the force of a mystical experience. Interesting, interesting. Um, well, and and I'm curious. Well, you know, maybe you've already sort of you know hinted. Uh, I'm curious as a theologian yourself. I I, I I probably made the erroneous assumption that most theologians are not into this stuff. They sort of disregard it as as bunk. Uh, but you know, what got you going on down this road? You're right that most theologians are not interested in either, in extraterrestrial life either as a scientific question or as a UFO uh, question. Most of them are not. Uh, there's a very small growing group of what I call astro-theologians, and uh, this is a group uh, who are taking seriously speculation about the universe in terms of our uh, religious understanding, and uh, I'm trying to kind of uh, cultivate that group. There's also an ethical uh, agenda. Um, most researchers up until this time have been scientists, and they've not really had uh, a code of ethics or even public policy to guide them, and the time is coming now uh, when we need to think about uh, off-Earth biospheres uh, do they have integrity? Some of the ethical issues we have surrounding um, uh, Earth, environmental issues on Earth, are going to get transported now to off-Earth sites. And uh, so the, the next 10 years is going to be very uh, interesting as theologians and ethicists work with uh, scientists uh, about these, uh, these kinds of uh, issues. And one of my agendas is to alert intellectuals in general and uh, church intellectuals in particular to say, hey, we, we might have a responsibility here to offer some uh, moral uh, leadership. Uh, maybe, maybe that scares the bejeebies out of some people. Last thing we want is another narrow-minded religious uh, moral code. But on the other hand, um, uh, the scientific community really needs some um, uh, hard-nosed philosophical thought uh, about just what kind of ethics we should have in searching for life or in greeting life once uh, once we've made contact. Yeah, that concerns me, you know, because, you know, I look at uh, I look at what's happening with ISIS right now, and, you know, and it feels like to me if you're the military, you know, it's kind of like that idea, you know, well, if you're a hammer, all you ever, everything looks like a nail. You know, if you're the military, the only solution is war, you know. Um, so if we did encounter, um, you know, beings from another planet, I would be scared to death that the Fox News group fear mongers coupled with the military, Military that only knows force, um, we'd be in bad shape if those folks uh, sort of, you know, sort of controlled the dialogue or controlled the actions on behalf of humanity. You know, um, Barrett, I have, I share exactly that fear. I'm not afraid of the aliens. I'm afraid of the military and industrial 
complex in this country. You're right about ISIS. Washington is uh, greedily saying, oh, let's go to war. And I want to know, with a little transparency, who gets the contracts to make the weapons uh, that we send over there and then taxpayers pay in order to make these weapons manufacturers rich? And ISIS is already armed with weapons we we gave them, right? So now uh, that warrants going to war against them, more weapons, more production, more profits, uh, etc. And could that happen in the case of uh, space people showing up and the military industrial complex was saying, well, let's start shooting them and we're going to have to have new guns. You know, the old guns won't work for aliens. We've got to have a new kind of gun. And uh, yeah, I'm more worried about Earthlings than I am about spacelings when it comes me to too. Me too. Me too. Honestly, because I don't. I guess I don't have enough faith in humanity yet. You know, uh, and and yeah. you know, corp, corporate control of everything, and you know, companies like Halliburton, who, uh, you know, I, I mean, how did this go? I mean, think about Iraq. You know, they they sold us. I think you know, an you know, a, a division of Halliburton. I think they sold us the bombs. Then they also made money on, um, you know, sort of keeping the soldiers, you know, uh, uh, because we, you know, we uh, outsource all of that now. We don't feed the soldiers and take care of the soldiers ourselves. A private company does that. Then after they've blown up the city, well, they're the ones that go back in and rebuild the city. I mean, you know, they, they get it on all different sides. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's, um, it's disaster capitalism, I think somebody called well, it. Karen, you are so uh, on the money, and yet think that the Halliburton executive was our vice president, um, mm-hmm. the Chevron executive was our secretary of state, and who earned all that money that we borrowed from China and dumped in there? Well, it was Halliburton and Chevron. Uh, so basically, Iraq was a welfare system whereby uh, we taxpayers paid Halliburton and Chevron enormous amounts of money so they could get rich. And right. as long as they kept the war on the other side of the world, um, we just got embarrassed when our soldiers came home, uh, either in boxes or uh, with limbs missing, and um, uh, we tried to keep them out of the out of the limelight. So. Uh, yeah, when you say you don't have faith in humanity, I want to say I don't have faith in humanity either. And one of the things I try to show in the UFO book is just the kind of uh, concerns that you and I have right now. Um, we find uh, in the UFO community, usually in terms of weapons of mass destruction, and the hope, the hope that the space aliens will be more advanced than we are and will help protect us from ourselves we don't destroy (laughs) ourselves it's a kind of a secular form of salvation we hope for and frankly if the aliens can do that for us bring them on (laughs) yes yes yeah we've seen these movies where when the aliens land none of our equipment works you know, wouldn't that be ideal? You know that <laughs> that none of the guns right, would shoot. Right. You know, they 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 could just turn I off like the tank. I like that. <laughs> I love that. I love that part of it. Yeah. That's a lesson right there. That uh, peace loving, if uh, if we're going to have a future at all. And uh, you know, I asked the question: UFOs, God's chariots, with a question mark in the book. And I want to say, if this is the message that. 
rises up out of the UFO phenomenon. Could that be coming from God? Well, I think so. God can use a flying saucer, or you're in my belief in flying saucers, as well as anything else, in order to uh, communicate a message of uh, peace and uh, treating our whole uh, globe uh, as a single family. Well, well, you know, I think about some of those um, uh, paintings and uh, some of them are wood carvings, uh, an assortment of things that you see on ancient aliens, like, and they'll bring up like how the Vedas uh, seem to be writing about ancient battles and places like Mohandaro, you know, are still even radioactive. Um, I mean, some of this stuff is really intriguing, you know. I mean, where you can see in these, these ancient, well, not ancient, but very old paintings, what seem to be obvious you know, flying saucers and, you know, the descriptions of things, um, you know, I guess there's probably always the possibility for another explanation, but sometimes it sounds like these guys get awfully close to connecting the dots. And I, I wonder what you think about the idea of ancient astronauts. I mean, do you think they could have had any um, part in jump-starting human evolution? Well, on the first part, is it possible that your and my ancestors were visited by uh, craft from outer space? Yes, uh, that's uh, possible, and it's certainly a reasonable hypothesis to explore. And you mentioned the ancient Hindu uh, writings with the Vimanas. They, they kind of look like craft. Uh, in the air, and yes, there is enough there in ancient petroglyphs and other sources uh, to make it worthwhile uh, investigating. So I want to say I want to give a pass on that one. It's a, it's a good research program, but uh, on the uh, idea that somehow or other uh, the human race was genetically um, jump started by. Uh, ancient aliens visiting your and my pre-hominid ancestors and giving them the genes to produce the human race, I just don't think there's any evidence in the human genome for that. Now, it is, in fact, the case that um, our knowledge about the human genome right now is growing and we've got a lot more to learn, and it's very possible that such a thing as a jump start might get uh, discovered, but on the basis of current knowledge, I don't think um, uh, it's there. Um, the other aspect of the ancient astronaut theory uh, is, uh, apart from a genetic jump start, they gave us a technological jump start, helping us to build the pyramids in Egypt and in Mesoamerica uh, or various uh, things like that. And uh, on that particular point, I have to flatly disagree with the ancient astronaut theorists because all these ancient technologies have prosaic explanations. We know how the pyramids were built. There's no mystery. And they even have uh, the designs and contracts of the, uh, of the builders and the architects, etc. Uh, that's all historical evidence. So you don't need to invoke uh, ancient astronauts. And then I think... Well, if there were ancient astronauts, I'll bet they had electricity. Why didn't didn't they give the ancient Egyptians electricity? Why were they running around with candles? So, uh, at any rate, uh, that part of the ancient astronaut theory, yeah, I'm a little bit skeptical of. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, yeah, that makes sense because, uh, yeah, that and that that's a good one. I actually hadn't heard someone say that, although, you know, you would see some of these History Channel shows where, you know, uh, they show you that they think maybe they uh, were figuring out how to uh, create a battery and things like that. If that was the case, yeah. why why were they uh, trying to light inside the tombs with reflected, polished metal, you know? They right. they could have mm-hmm. they could have yeah 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 that uh, that that does make sense. Um, so so what do you think, Ted? If if um, if we did have some sort of uh, ET contact, um, you think the fundamentalists are going to have more trouble with it than the liberals? Well, um, uh, two points on that one. In my survey, the Peter's ETI Religious Crisis Survey, there were a number of fundamentalists, and the answer is no. Um, for the most part, um, they uh, they recognize that uh, aliens are not in the Bible, but on the other hand, maybe they exist. There is within the fundamentalist camp, however, a smaller group uh, who believe that aliens and flying saucers come from Satan. And uh, belief belief in flying saucers is satanic, they say. Well, and if you look, uh, there are a few websites. Uh, now, uh, a close examination uh, reveals something that I think is um, really odd, and that the reason flying saucers are satanic is they'll lead us to believe in evolution. The good old uh, bugaboo evolution comes back, and you might say, wait a minute, how could there possibly be any connection between UFOs and evolution? Well, Here's the way it works. Um, it's a widespread cultural belief, even amongst our best scientists, that evolution over time leads to progress. And so that means that on an extraterrestrial planet that has evolved a million years longer or a billion years longer than ours, that species will have progressed, become more intelligent. And what will they do? They'll advance in science and technology. Funny thing, when science and technologists are the high priests, they're gods to look just like themselves. So um, uh, these, uh, uh, I call this the ETI myth. So there's this myth about what the extraterrestrials are going to be like based on uh, speculation about evolution on other planets. And that is what these fundamentalists don't like. So if the UFO makes you think about Darwin and evolution, oh, no, uh, that's what's going on there. Because otherwise, um, uh, there's no good reason for um, uh, a Christian, even a very, very conservative Christian, uh, to get upset about a flying saucer or even uh, garden variety talk about E.T., Oh, well, yeah, I'm thinking. You know, there's a lot of them that get that that think uh, the uh, Queen of Heaven or goddesses satanic. You know, Lilith is the head of Satan's army. You know, I heard that at Kabbalah class. Uh, you know, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, you know, some of the stuff. I, I, I mean, they they need to get over Satan. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the church lady on Saturday Night Live? Oh yeah. Uh, Anyhow, I just loved her. Anything that she didn't like, she <laughs> invoked Satan. Yeah, Satan uh, invokes yeah. Satan. You know, I don't know. I'm starting right, to like right. Satan. You know, if it gets under their skin and makes them think a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, so Ted, um, what do you think uh, is is the most important thing for folks to know about your book? What were what were, what were your discoveries that um, uh, you know were maybe the most surprising? Well, um, what I uh, like to communicate to the reader is that we want to look at flying saucers not just as odd little things in the sky, but actually as an entire cultural phenomenon which includes. Um, uh, the scientific establishment includes our religious sensibilities. Uh, it includes our culture that would include movies in some cases. There are two important UFO movies, The Day the Earth Stood Still in 1951 and Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977. All the others are science fiction and all the others mislead, but if you want to get to the heart of the UFO phenomenon, then those are the movies that you want. And uh, I, I try to to identify the characteristics of the UFO phenomenon and then analyze to see how it is that our religious sensibilities get teased and provoked and evoked uh, in this. And uh, I think uh, the difference between truth and falsity is important, but also mm-hmm. how it is that you and I search for meaning, uh, that's important. And that's the odyssey I take uh, readers on. But just playing the subject of you was just plain exciting, no matter how you look at it. So I it, try it to draw the meaning, but, yeah, it's a fun topic. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think about that um Twilight Zone episode where people were getting ready to get on the spacecraft and they were going to go spend uh, time on uh, the alien planet and everybody was so excited to go and then they deciphered something in the last moment and they realized it was a cookbook and that they were really going to be eaten. (laughs) My husband loved that. that. Yes, I remember that. It was called To Serve Man. (laughs) To Serve, yes, To Serve Man. Yeah, Yeah, I remember. Right, right. You you and I would be uh, on their dinner plate. Yeah, I remember that too. (laughs) (laughs) So those two movies, Close Encounter and what was the other one, The Day the Earth Stood Still? The Day the Earth Stood Still, only the 1951. Now the remake uh, misses the point. So the first one gets it. So, so tell me what it, what makes those the ones and and the rest, you know, just sort of bunk. Because those two show how uh, what the UFO phenomenon elicits is our religious sensibilities hidden underneath scientific uh, rhetoric. Now, if you may remember in. <laughs> 1951, I don't know if we've got time for these plots, but it's so important that plot two comes from outer space in the 1951 movie, and he wants to bring world peace. And so he meets with, he tries to meet with the politicians of the great nations, and they don't want to talk about world peace. (laughs) They're they're making too much money, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And so... He has to find somebody else who can unite the planet, and he doesn't go to a church. He doesn't go to a religious leader. No, where does he go? He goes to the scientists. And we got this uh, character that looks like Albert Einstein. And in the last scene, you've got this global assembly of scientists, Sikhs with their turbans, and men and women of different races. There is even some gender equality in there. And it's the scientists 
who are now communicating with what? An extraterrestrial scientist who is going to bring peace on Earth. And um, we have to remember how terribly distrustful we in our culture had become after World War II of both the politicians and the scientists. But for some reason or another, we wanted to rebaptize uh, science. So uh, the first thing is to note salvation comes from the skies, and the medium is going to be the scientific community, not the political community, without any references to religion except one thing, and that is that the spaceman gives himself the name Mr. Carpenter, obviously an allusion to Jesus the uh, the Carpenter. Ah. <laughs> oh, you know what? I didn't even think about that. You know, I, I barely yeah. even remember that movie. Now I'm going to have to look mm-hmm. at it with different eyes. Oh, yeah, I do. And the, the best part, of course, is the final speech uh, when Klaatu is talking with the scientists about world peace and things like that. Then the 1977, you must remember Spielberg's Close Encounters and uh, how uh, Spielberg had said when he started out to make that movie, he thought he would make a science fiction spectacular And then when he studied the phenomenon, he realized UFOs is a religious phenomenon. So he made it a religious movie. And I respect Spielberg. He's just got the the fingers of a safecracker. He's an artist. He just kind of tunes in uh, to the culture. And so the religious symbolism there is just overwhelming. We have the connection between heaven and earth. You've got the Devil's Tower with a flying saucer coming down from heaven, landing on top of it, and spits out a bunch of uh, of uh, soldiers that had been uh, captive for three, 30 years or something, and they didn't age. So it's got the power of eternal life, you know. And, and wow. then the light, symbol, the light symbolism is just overwhelming, as Carl Jung would uh, probably uh, had he been alive to analyze that movie, he would have gone over and over about the light symbolism. So uh, what I want to say is that Spielberg in that movie is attuned to the hidden religious sensibilities under the politics and under the science that are at work in the UFO phenomenon. So I like those two movies. And then the other ones where the aliens come like an army, you know, in order to defeat us, uh, well, that's just, you know, it looks like Washington and Moscow, and there's not mm-hmm. much imagination going on there. Right, right, right. Well, that's, you know, that's really interesting because both of those movies, uh, I mean, in the 70s, I was just getting out of high school, and I, I, I think that movie, and I don't, I don't think I watched it again. I haven't seen it in probably 20, 20 years, 30 years. Mm-hmm. So I need to go back and watch Close Encounters and watch The Day the Earth Stood Still. And, uh, no, I and think uh, I think they're genius movies. I actually do. Okay, well that's well. Thank you for that. You know, I mm-hmm. uh, I personally I personally like I, I think of it as Goddess Church, the movie Avatar. <laughs> oh I, I know, yes, I do too. Yeah, and you know, I really feel like that one. Um, you know, it, it, there was just all of this stuff on the internet that you know a lot of Christians got their panties in a bunch because you know because there's this interesting um, interweaving between Christianity and capitalism. You know, mm-hmm. and and they were it, which which I don't totally understand because you know Jesus was not about making money, but you know. Oh. Uh, 
but yeah, it it but I mean it seems like so many Christians forget that these days, you know. And <laughs> and and, and right. so here here you have, you know, it was anti-corporate, it was anti-capitalism, it was pro-environmental, you know, plus this whole idea of the interconnection of all of us. And shoot, I mean everybody I know wanted to book the first passage they could on to Pandora, you know. Right. Um, but but uh, but but that was different, you know. It was it was I, I see what you're saying with those old movies um uh right. you know the, well, avatar I have was... the same in, interpretation of avatar and to see those great big bulldozers just destroying the environment you know uh we took uh, uh evil is too heavy word but we took our uh, swaggering damage from earth to pandora and, and uh, of course, uh, the residents of Pandora had to defend themselves, but because they're peace-loving, I mean, defense is not something uh, that they automatically do. And I, I was just wondering, have you thought about the name Pandora? Usually you think of the evil coming out yes. of Pandora's box, but in this case, the Earthlings took the evil to Pandora, and uh, anyway, I... I can you explain that one to me? <laughs> well, it, well, I, you know, honestly, you know, there there are different versions of the idea of what actually came out of Pandora's box. You know, the patriarchal version of Pandora's box was all the evils. You know, that because a woman is always blamed for the evil in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, but um, but you know, I I was thinking about this. Uh, you know, this this idea. Um, you know, with uh, oh, I just lost my train of thought here <laughs> I, I did, uh, oh shoot shoot Put yourself you know, I, back on pandora yeah yeah it, it, but it it was such uh you know this this idea of uh you know of our of our interconnection and it it right, i mean the, right. the the vatican even came out in i mean it was such a uh, a powerful influence. I mean, one of the spokesmen for the Pope actually came out and said, you know, kind of like, don't forget, nature is never going to replace religion, you know. And uh, I and I and I thought, wow, you know, if if they uh, felt so compelled to have to say something like that, you know, to sort of get folks in line, um, mm-hmm. I, it, I don't know. It just it just felt like it had really made an impact. Uh, you know, maybe in a way, uh, you know, uh, James Cameron never, you know, didn't even realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, but well, uh, I, 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 uh, correct me. The the Vatican statement had to do with the interpretation of Avatar. Uh, perhaps I missed that connection there. Um, because I, I don't know the Vatican statement you're speaking about. So. Well, you know, I don't have it in front of me. I would have to. That's I would okay. have to go back and get it. But, okay. uh, but, but one of the spokesmen, I, I'm pretty sure it was during Ratzinger. Uh, part of part of the statement said, you know, nature will never replace religion, and uh, you know, and, and here you had this, uh, you know, the the goddess with the tree, and uh, I, I mean, it was just. Um, uh, it, it, it felt like to me the thing that they had been trying to sweep beneath the rug, you know, our, you know, our, our interconnection, uh, the idea of the right. sacred feminine, you know, it was all right there in their face, and it was just too much, you know, uh, you know, especially when well, people were were so excited about it, you know, it, it sort of gave people. Not too much for me. Uh, it's a message that 
we have rumbling uh, just below the surface of our culture that uh, we belong to the earth and the, the earth belongs to us. And um, uh, we are utterly not just connected, but interdependent. And the movie portrayed that so beautifully. Yeah. I can't see why anyone would object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you'd you'd think, you know, you'd think. I mean, yeah. so many, so many wonderful messages about, you know, uh, being wary of, uh, you know, corporatism and uh, exploitation of, in, you know, it's like the exploitation of indigenous people. You know, I mean, uh, here, I remember when Jake is kneeling at the tree and he says, you know, uh, the sky people. You know, they've they've destroyed their world. Now they're coming here to destroy ours. And you know. That's yeah. what I was, That's where I was going with this. Um, you know, this whole idea, you know, in feminist theology is that, uh, you know, the, the ancient cultures who had a goddess at the center, who were more egalitarian, yes, it, it, you know, we think in some cases that they were overrun by the marauding herds, you know, the people with, you know, with weapons, the people on horseback, you know, sort of like what happened on Pandora in a sense, because here were these, you know, nature-loving, peaceful people who didn't really, you know, have uh, any kind of major weapons or anything like that. It wasn't part of their psyche, their culture, and they're sort of just overrun by these, you know, violent, uh, greedy hordes. It's almost, uh, you know, it, you could you could sort of juxtapose what, you know, feminist theology in some cases says happened to goddess culture. You know, you were seeing it there on the screen uh, in Avatar, you know, as, um, you know, our, our capitalist, you know, culture, uh, you know, violent military, you know, mil- you know, backed by the military come and, uh, you know, just, you know, take over this, uh, you know, culture that has no fortifications, just like, you know, we think may have happened in um, – you know the times uh you know that, that there were goddess cultures so it was uh, it, it was you know it, it it was emotional to watch that i think in a way because here you were seeing in a sense you know maybe herstory uh, as we call it herstory repeating itself you know uh you know right there on the No screen. i uh i have the same uh interpretation of that dimension of the uh, of the uh movie uh the, and i'm sure that it was uh, all purposeful and as you're speaking I'm thinking of the invasion by the Aryans of the Dravidians in northwestern India um, where the Dravidians pretty much are the way you're uh, describing them uh, people of the land and uh, uh, they had uh, a lot of uh, natural uh, religious symbols including uh, the earth mother and uh, when the um, Aryans came in, uh, they were the soldiers on horseback with the spears and uh, the male sky gods, etc. And uh, who's going to win? Well, uh, on the one hand, you get conquerors uh, who've got the military power, and they tend to be, yeah, male-dominated, patriarchal, etc., and eventually, of course, the cultures emerge uh, through intermarriage, but then you get this hierarchy of deities, and yes, the Earth Mother's down at the bottom, and uh, the Sky God with the lightning bolt and the spears uh, gets on top. Well, in the case of Pandora, it's the one with the bulldozer right? Uh, and that, uh, that is on top. And, and I think the movie helped us to 
to get that feeling of almost helplessness on the part of the people who are close to nature in in our own history, probably agricultural societies, getting dominated by uh, the militarists and the empire builders. And and it's interesting as you quote, we, we earthlings are the sky people who come and invade. <laughs> Just right. like, you know, the Aryans were the sky people in the sense that they had these sky divinities who invaded the uh, the people of the land who were already there. I, I, I don't know uh, who's guilty and who's innocent, but it is a, a tragic thing because those who are close to nature are always going to lose, Yeah, at least militarily lose. Well, you know, I think we have to get to the point where we ch- I mean if it's if it's humanly possible to totally change our values that might is not always right. And uh you know, it, I I was interviewing a woman last week uh who's an you know, who has done a lot of research on the Iroquois and uh you know, who uh, you know, had informed our founding fathers about democracy and things like that. And they don't believe in power over, which was interesting. And I thought, imagine uh-huh. if if we could have a culture that did not believe in power over. Their whole cosmology or ideology, whatever you want to call it, is about mm-hmm. keeping balance and harmony. So it's not a, you know, so it's about the caring, the sharing, the keeping a balance. You know, it's not right. about, you know, the individual. It's about the collective. And, right. um, you know, and, and if you're thinking, and if you have to think about the needs of everyone instead of the needs of just a few, mm-hmm. and, it, you know, it really sh- it really changes things, doesn't it? Ah, yes. Uh, this is news to me about the Iroquois. I mean, American, uh, Native American communities in general were just uh, a few inches above survival. I can imagine that the community was extremely important there. Um, and you're right, uh, they they could not afford individualism, uh, nor did they have a doctrine of individualism. Yeah, and so, I mean, and she, you know, she talked about how, uh, you know, it was the 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 women who actually made the decision whether or not they went to war, and women had control, you know, had sovereignty oh, like over their that. bodies. I know. like that. Yeah, I like listen, that. I think what we should do is get the women of ISIS. Women of these other groups, and have them be tell us what they decided. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because you know what some women. I don't know whether it's like uh, maybe you call it Munchausen syndrome, <laughs> but but you know sometimes uh, I, I wonder about the women. I mean, I know we're getting a little off track here, but um, you know sometimes the women are complicit in their own oppression. So I don't I don't think women always have the answer, and I, just like uh, I don't think true. you know. You know, and I, I just like I don't think men are always the enemy. You know, I mean, we have so many feminist men who are our allies uh, in 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 these new ideas. You know, to help make the world a more sustainable and just place. But uh, it it is it is interesting and ironic in a way that you know here we we often in feminist theology look to these ancient cultures to sort of cherry pick. Uh, better ways of of living our society when here we had the Iroquois right here on our continent who had a lot of the answers. It, it's just, of course, you know, it all got swept beneath the rug. I mean, how many people don't even know the Iroquois influenced the founding fathers? Um, so it was, it was a really interesting um, 
a very right, interesting right. interview. I, I, I learned a lot, yeah. uh, more than I knew uh, about the Iroquois. I didn't know about this whole idea of they didn't have the concept of power over. And, um, and I don't know, I guess I just, I'm, I'm an idealist at heart, and I hope that, you know, one day we can change our values. Because, you're, look, remember when greed was one of the deadly seven, was one of the deadly sins? Oh, and yeah. Some, and, and suddenly we've forgotten Gordon all about Gecko, that. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, if we if now, we, could, uh, we now think that it drives our economy. <laughs> yes, and that wasn't yeah. that long ago. So if greed could right. go from being one of the seven deadly sins to you know revered and you know as in Wall Street and Gordon Gecko, well, can't I? I think we can change it. You know, I think we can go back to the ideas that uh, you know where things were better for the most of us instead of just. Um, you know, the few at the top or the military-industrial complex or Monsanto. and uh, But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like your topics, Karen. These are things I think about. You opened by saying some things about progressives. Well, I teach at Berkeley, you know, and it's a letter-to-thou community. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, when I, that, that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, too, because I figured you probably had to be pretty progressive-minded uh, up there at Berkeley. So uh, I, I envy you with, uh, with all of those uh, folks up there. I bet it's a fun place to, to live, and a lot of people have great conversations. Yeah, for me, it's hog heaven. I bet, I bet. Well, Ted, um, before I say goodnight, is there anything else you might want to say about the book or where we can find it or anything else you want to share? Yeah, it's called UFOs, Gods, Terriots with a question mark. Amazon and other um, electronic sellers sell it. I have a website uh, with a lot of resources on the relationship between science and religion. It's called Ted's Timely Take, Ted's with an S, tedstimelytake.com, and uh, you can buy books through my website or uh, just go uh, straight to Amazon and the um, the author's page there. By the way, uh, I, I don't want to prefer Amazon over others. It's just that it's so easy these days to utter that word. And, you know, in Berkeley, I got friends who will not speak the word Amazon. So uh, I know. I know. Well, you know, <laughs> all, all, all of their money goes to conservative causes. And I always tell my listeners, if you're really hard-pressed, use it. If you can afford to spend a few extra dollars, support your local bookstore instead. You know? I think you're absolutely right on, Karen. Right on. Well, listen, Ted, I actually have someone who just called in, and uh, usually everyone listens from the archives, but I want to just maybe give this person – oh, they hung up. Okay, I guess they didn't want to – they were just listening, and they didn't actually have a question. Well, maybe they'll call back. I won't bug them. Call Mm -hmm. back. (laughs) Well, Ted, it has been fun, and uh, keep in touch. And uh, if you ever want to come back on again and – uh, you know, chat about a new book or uh, some other topic. You kind of get the idea of what we talk about here. You know, sex, oh. power, religion, politics, especially if it has to do with the sacred feminine. Please come back. Okay. Thank you so much. I've enjoyed this a lot, and I'll look for my return. Okay. All right. Good night. All right. Bye-bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that, listeners. It was fun talking to Ted, getting his take on all of that. And uh, I have a word from Joe Carson before we get to those bees buzzing around in my bonnet. Here we go.
most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. I'm as much of this earth as a rock or a tree. I mean, I came out of it. This is is my mother planet. I grew out of this earth. As long as we conceive of divinity as above us or outside of us, or that our bodies are somehow less divine than spirit, there's no way that we can change our course. Well, um, you were hearing from uh, one of the scholars in the uh, documentary uh, Dancing with Gaia by uh, Joe Corson, and uh, I uh, fully recommend that uh, documentary. It talks about sacred sexuality, our our connection to Earth. Uh, It comes with a 45-page mini-book that... uh, further details the subject. Uh, You can find out more at uh, dancingwithgaia.com, and uh, the booklet is only $20. And um, just wanted to share with you uh, an outtake from FEM, Women Healing the World. Um, If you're a regular listener, you know it was my great privilege to be a part of that documentary produced by actress uh, Sharon Stone in Emmanuel Atier of Wonderland Entertainment. Um, Just give a quick listen. Here we go. Well, yeah, I've had a one-sided view of the divine. And the reason we've had a one-sided view of the divine is because the myths that uh, our society lives by are the myths that only speak about a male god. When, in fact, a goddess has been around for 30 30 or 40,000 years, Uh, we can look to the artifacts, we can look to the archaeological sites, we can look to the textiles, we can look to the myths. But, you know, because religion is about power and politics, uh, the sacred feminine has sort of been swept beneath the sands of time. And uh, the mythology of goddess uh, has been uh, obscured purposefully uh, because this is all about um, uh, uplifting uh, the patriarchy as opposed to um, having a balanced society where you have the attributes of the feminine and the masculine uh, in control in society. So when you consider that uh, one person's myth is another person's religion, uh, and, and when that myth is um, dominated by a male guide, well, then you have male leadership uh, that, that predominates in society. So as a result, women have been subjugated, and goddesses uh, become our role models. They become our archetypes. So when we only have a male guide that, that is at the center of society, well, that sets the male gender up to be the leader of the society, and, and that then um, subjugates women to sort of a second-class supporting role rather than a partnership, rather than uh, an equal role where they are, uh, in a sense, um, you know, looking over humankind together or men and women or uh, leading and ruling together. Well, that was just uh, what got left on the cutting room floor of FEM. Uh, thought you might like to hear that. And uh, you know the sound. We're crossing the threshold uh, into the second half of the show. 
I thought I would share with you what's uh, coming up for me really soon. After the big book launch party this Saturday, I have a presentation in Westlake Village at the Center for Spiritual Living on October 4th called Founding Mothers, Unearthing Our Rich Female Legacy. Then the following day, October 5th, I'm at the Pagan Pride Day event in Rainbow Lagoon in Long Beach discussing the need for us to claim and tell our new stories, the stories of the patriarchal father alone or not serving the most of us. Uh, Then the following Columbus Day weekend, I'm up at ISIS Oasis for the Fellowship of ISIS Convocation, and I give a presentation on Saturday night on the importance of adopting goddess spirituality uh, and mythology uh, and how those ideals uh, would uh, help us along the path of a more sustainable future. Then a bit further out, as I've been talking about a little bit uh, every week, is the Sacred Tour to Turkey scheduled for late May 2015. Yes, I'll be co-leading a tour to Anatolia, as Turkey was once called, Land of the Nourishing Mothers. I won't go into a lot of detail tonight. You can hear a description on one of my last shows. Uh, if you, But if you want information, get in touch with me, and I'll put you on the prospective traveler list so you can get all the updates. The tour is for women and men, and I promise it will be something you will cherish the rest of your life. So, uh, it's time for those bees. Okay, your hair is probably on fire too, especially if the Egyptian goddess Isis means anything to you. Hey, that rhymed. Uh, Whether you identify with Isis as a deity, an archetype, or an ideal, you know, it really sucks having her sacred name associated with terrorists. I can't really say it better than Genevieve Vaughan, uh, foundress of the Sekhmet Temple outside Las Vegas, did in her letter to media and magazine uh, editors. So let me read it to you uh, with her permission, of course. Uh, Genevieve uh, got the word out uh, saying in the, the name of the goddess the escalation toward war is continuing the media is beating the drum and tension is increasing every day in the Middle East the new enemy is Isis when I first heard the term I thought of the great Egyptian mother goddess of that name did this terminology mean that the U.S. would soon be fighting against the mother goddess in a way this is true wars are always patriarchal men against men and women and mothers always suffer all their years of love and work are gone in the flash of a gun or a bomb the goddess is discredited and disempowered by war isis the first daughter of earth called geb and sky called newt was also the goddess of magic of healing and of reunification she put the pieces of her husband osiris back together again after he had been killed and dismembered by his jealous brother set she is the goddess of rebirth and reincarnation and is a guide of protection of the spirits of the dead she's the mother of horus and her image holding him in her arms preceded the many images of the madonna and child Her cult continued from 2500 BCE until medieval times. Many people in the women's spirituality and pagan movements today honor her as the embodiment of mother care and energies of peace and magic. For those who try to be open to the spiritual commitment of others, it's contradictory to call a group with whom we may soon be at war by the name of a deity who is loved and honored by many. I believe that people who identify with goddess spirituality and pagans generally are mostly spiritual progressives they honor nature and the energies of peace 
Taking the name of their goddesses in vain is like taking the name of any other deity in vain. We live in such a maelstrom of media spin, and we only know what the spin masters tell us. We attacked Iraq in 2003 on the pretext of information that was false. How do we know what's true now? Our war lust is a flow that can be directed at will by those in power. Is it possible at least to salvage the name of the mother goddess? An alternative acronym already exists. It's ISIL, the Islamic State of Iraq and the Levant. Or there's also the simpler IS, the Islamic State. There too, hang on, I have to flip the page. Sorry about that. There too, I would hesitate. Will we be fighting ice, is, is, being the great I am? It sounds like we are on the edge of final destruction. By playing with these holy words, we are playing with fire. And that is from Genevieve Vaughan, a leader in the community. We all respect for her ideas of a gift economy, and uh, she's the founder uh, and builder of the Sekhmet Temple. Uh, outside Las Vegas. And for those of you who may or may not know, Sekhmet, uh, the lion-headed Egyptian goddess, uh, was a healer, a mother. Uh, she, uh, Her archetype teaches us to be empowered, to have strength, tenacity, uh, to say no without guilt, to set healthy boundaries. Uh, Sekhmet, Sekhmet, Sa Sekhem, Sahu. So thank you, Genevieve. Uh, thank you, Isis. Thank you, Sekhmet. So uh, I think with that thought in mind, um, I will uh, play this song uh, dedicated uh, to Isis. Her name has been being taken in vain for weeks and months now. Uh, Let us take a moment and hear this song by Diva Haley uh, in tribute to Isis, and then I'll be back to tell you a bit more. Will you donate to the illusion of the ego? Are you ready to directly face the truth of your essential self? It is time to set yourself free. Please free. 
stand tall, priestess. Claim your birthright in the only power there is as the fierce compassion of love. by Diva Haley uh, from her Sacred Alchemy uh, DVD, uh, or CD, sorry. Um, so I guess uh, we should say, Hail Isis, Glorious Goddess, Mother of all the domain, Goddess of 10,000 names, forgive us, forgive us for taking your name in vain. You know, when we uh, think about Isis and we think about goddess mythology uh, and what it has to teach us, uh, you see Isis. uh, She is the archetype of the single mother uh, raising her children alone when her husband dies. Before she becomes a widow, uh, her and Osiris, uh, many of the writings say they taught Uh, uh, humanity to be civilized and they taught uh, man and woman to love one another 
You can see on reliefs of the temple walls, um, Isis, uh, it is by her authority, the pharaoh has the right to rule. So that's most definitely uh, a a metaphor for uh, women's leadership. And uh, she hands the pharaoh Ma'at, which is another goddess of uh, of truth and justice, and uh, and you know she hands the pharaoh ma'at or the right to rule, meaning that he must rule his people using those ideals, truth, justice. So we see if uh, we had uh, goddess mythology informing society rather than the patriarchal father mythology, things might be quite different. And that is the whole point, isn't it? Well, thank you, dear listeners, uh, for tuning in tonight. Uh, And please uh, tune back in on Wednesday. And uh, we will have another great show for you. And please keep those comments coming. Uh, If you can afford to uh, buy one of my books or uh, send a donation uh, via PayPal through my website, KarenTate.com, please do. Um, And I hope you're having a wonderful summer. And don't forget, if uh, you're looking for the ultimate guide in goddess sites around the world, uh, the history and how to get there, please check out my book, Uh, Sacred Places of Goddess, 108 Destinations. Uh, You can self-drive yourself uh, to places around the United States and Europe. And if you're in California, you really got it made because you could do a West Coast pilgrimage from the northern part of the United States right down to the southern part. So I guess uh, we will call it a night. um, And um, thank you. Thank you, my dear listeners. Sa Sakim Sahu. Have a blessed week, and uh, I'll be back in just a couple days. Good night. Thank you.